interrupted by one of their greeters who says hello to you, but the look on their face actually tells you that they are miserable. Or maybe you've run into a cashier who's scanning your groceries and says, hi, how you doing? But it is very, very clear from uh, the attitude and the vibe that they give you that they care nothing about how you are doing or what your day has in store. Poor customer service, a real pet peeve of mine. But if uh, such a person has a perceptive manager, they will probably eventually be called into the office for a difficult conversation. It would probably go something like this. Marcy, we've really been observing you lately, and we see that your customer service is quite poor. But, but I've been doing everything you've told me to. I've said hello to everyone and asked them how they're doing. Well, yes, you've been saying the words, but you see, the words that we ask you to say were really supposed to help you become a hospitable person. And it's clear that while you're saying the words, you're not actually becoming the sort of person that we want working for us. The story demonstrates a point. Uh, What we do externally doesn't always line up with what is going on internally inside of us. Jesus actually addresses this issue from a spiritual standpoint many times throughout the Gospels, one of which we just heard moments ago. So here's the setting. Jesus' disciples have a feathers of the fair on to dinner without washing their hands. And this has really ruffled the feathers of the pious Jews washing their hands before they ate a meal. And these naughty, naughty disciples did not wash their hands, and the Pharisees are very, very upset. And they say to Jesus, don't you teach your disciples to follow the traditions of the elders? And so Jesus then, of course, responds and points out their hypocrisy. And you can read about this in the very first nine uh, verses of uh, Matthew, Matthew 15, that we missed this morning. Uh, But then he turns to the crowd, and this is what we get today. He turns to the crowd, and he begins to comment on the scene that has just erupted. He starts off and he says this, listen and understand. He's saying, what I am about to say to you is very, very important. So make sure that you not only hear the words that I am about to say to you, but that you reflect on them and understand them. Now, imagine walking into a a conference of, say, medical doctors in announcing to them that by prescribing pharmaceutical medication to patients, they have been going about the doctoring business all wrong all these years. You'd be stepping on some toes, wouldn't you? You'd be ruffling some feathers. You'd probably get some snarled lips and some furrowed brows and some dropped jaws. Uh, They would not take too kindly to such an unconventional message. Now, this is probably what it felt like for Jesus to say what he says next in the presence of Pharisees who had committed their lives to upholding the traditions and the laws of purity. He says this, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Now you have to understand what this would have sounded like. It would have sounded like utter blasphemy because there were foods, not only were there purity laws about eating, but there were certain foods that were uh, declared unclean by the law. And so for Jesus to say that all, it didn't matter what you ate sounded like absolute heresy, absolute blasphemy. And now this next scene is very, I find it hilarious. The disciples, they come up to Jesus as they get closer to him and they say, Jesus, Jesus, do you know that what you just said really offended the Pharisees? 
it's, they're totally oblivious, right? Like Jesus doesn't know that he's stepping on their toes, right? Like Jesus doesn't know that he's offending the religious sensibilities of the religious elite that are right there present with him. It's, it's fairly hilarious. And then he says to his disciples who are so worried about this, he says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Then he says that, he describes the Pharisees as blind guides. He says, a blind person leads another blind person. They're both going to fall into a pit. They're blind guides. Pay nothing, pay no attention to them. He's saying, forget about people who want to impose religious duties on you, but don't help you actually grow in your relationship with God. He goes on and he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. You see, food goes into the sewer. Uh, External things, outward temporal things, pass away. And if the external things aren't changing your heart, this is what Jesus is saying, if the external things which are commanded aren't changing your heart, then they don't actually make you clean. In fact, doing them makes you a hypocrite if they're not actually having an effect inwardly. You see, here's what Jesus is telling us here. Um, External religion is all fine and dandy. It's important, but it's a means to an end. And it's possible to actually go through all the externality of religion and have some pretty awful stuff going on inside you. So it's the reality for the Pharisees. It's a danger for us that there would be areas in our hearts that are still untouched by the work of God's Spirit. This is the warning. He goes on and says, For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Here's a modern day uh, translation, (laughs) hopefully relevant to us. You can go to church. You can take communion every week. You can do great great service to other people. You can read your daily devotions, but is there stuff in your heart that actually resists God's work of conforming you to the image of Jesus? You see, it's possible to walk through the externals and feel okay about ourselves when there's areas here that have yet to be touched by God's Holy Spirit. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, probably not a very uh, popular person in his day because he spoke the truth and uh, pulled no punches, but he said this about the human heart. He says, uh, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? This is exactly what Jesus is saying. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? This is what Jesus is saying. You see, the Pharisees, their hearts were deceiving them. Their hearts were deceiving them. One author captures this idea so beautifully, she puts it like this. Self-deception is a formidable impediment to transformation. We cannot deliver ourselves from it because its very nature is to hide itself from our awareness. And then she goes on and says, we must be dependent on the Holy Spirit to shine God's light on our hearts, and break through any blindness or resistance. So how does this happen? How does this work of God's Holy Spirit happen? How does it lay open the thoughts and attitudes of our heart and transform them? 
It's exactly the issue that the gospel addresses. It's exactly what the good news of Scripture and of Jesus Christ died and resurrected answers. Our collect today actually captured uh, what it is, how it is, that the gospel actually addresses this issue. And it, and it points out two different things that happen, two different things that happen with the death and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. First of all, that it makes atonement for our sins, and second of all, that it shows us an example of a godly heart. It said this, the college said, You have given your only son to be a sacrifice for sin and also an example of a godly life. You see, and I would add to that, and also by the breathing in of the Holy Spirit, the ability to have a transformed heart, to deal with, to wrestle with the things in us that we have not dealt with. You see, the gospel does these things. It removes guilt and shame, right? It removes guilt and shame because it pronounces a complete forgiveness over our lives. It pronounces not just forgiveness, but God's favor upon us, okay? And, and it invites us into intimacy and vulnerability with the living God, into intimacy and vulnerability with God. Now, a word about vulnerability. Vulnerability is hard. It is very difficult. Here's a question to ask ourselves. Is my prayer life marked by vulnerability? When I pray, do I just say the words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I've said my daily prayers. Or do we put ourselves before the living God and say, Show me where my heart has still been untouched by your Holy Spirit, where I need you to work on me, to take out the sin that dwells in there that I'm clinging to. Vulnerability is difficult. There's a part in the stories, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's uh, famous uh, fantasy novels that were written for children. They are an allegory for the Christian life. And there's a part in the story where a young man named Eustace, who he's the whiny, selfish, self-centered cousin who goes on an adventure with the Pevensey children. He, uh, they are on an island and Eustace wanders off by himself and he finds he discovers a cave. And he sees eventually that there is a dragon in the cave. And he notices shortly after that the dragon is dying. And once he sees that the dragon has breathed its last and he's sure that it's dead, he himself wanders into the cave and he discovers the dragon's treasure trove of riches. And he begins to think through, how can I hoard this from myself and keep it from all of the other people on the ship? And as he's thinking through how to do this, he falls asleep on the riches. And when Eustace wakes up, he discovers that he has become a dragon. In thinking through how he was going to keep this rich, these riches for himself, how his greed would play itself out, he himself turned into something that he could not have imagined. And Eustace uh, begins to try to peel the layers of dragon scales off of himself. And all he finds is that there is another layer underneath every time he pulls a layer off, and he can't get it off of him. And he's disgusted at what he has become. And then he meets a lion. A lion named Aslan, who is the great Christ figure in the stories. And Aslan makes an offer to him and he says, I can take the dragon away from you, but it is going to be painful. You're going to have to become vulnerable, right? He challenges, he invites Eustace to be vulnerable 
to his ferocious claws, and in his desperation, Eustace surrenders to Aslan's ferocious claws, and through a painful process, Aslan removes all of the dragon scales from him, sends him into a body of water to bathe, and gives him brand new clothing. A beautiful image of what, how God redeems us, forgives us of our mistakes, and actually does a transformative work in us that is so often painful and requires vulnerability on our part, opening up ourselves to it. We are uh, in our service every Sunday we do this, but we are about to go back into the liturgy and into the prayers of the Eucharist, which are external things. They are external rituals. So we must be cautioned, as the Pharisees were, as Jesus' disciples were, that they are not things that we just do because we're supposed to do them. We must see them as an invitation into a place of vulnerability and intimacy with a living God who actually wants to do a work in our hearts, to take the things out that have been dwelling in there that we have not yet dealt with and to make our hearts something beautiful for himself. You see, the Eucharist, when we gather around the altar together, this is the moment of vulnerability. We are coming into the presence of a God who the Bible describes as a consuming fire. The Eastern Orthodox Christians, you know, when they celebrate the Eucharist on their altar, they call it, they refer to it as being in the flame. In the flame because it is such a powerful moment of God's presence coming to us in the sacrament. God is a consuming fire, but he's also this, a God who invites us into intimacy and vulnerability. And that fire purges us of everything that is opposed to his purpose for our life. So when we come up to this altar today, I would invite you to take stock of your heart, to take stock of where, how you can become vulnerable before the living God in this external action that has been handed on to us for the sake of transformation, for the sake of intimacy with a God who loves us more than we can ask or imagine. Pray with me. Father, we put ourselves before you in a place of vulnerability. We ask that you, where we are uh, not seeing, that we're not opening up places of ourselves, of our inward beings that uh, you want to have access to, we ask that you would show us where those places are. Today, in this room, as we come forward and join together in this holy sacrament and find ourselves in your powerful presence, we ask that we would be purged of everything that is an impediment to our transformation into the image of your son. And we thank you that all of this is possible and that you are forever patient with us because of the work that he has done and that he continues to do in our lives. It is in his name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.